5: Beat goes on, the beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee la da 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 Charles Tim was once the rage Home And it skirts the current thing Uh-huh D.D. Bobber is our newborn king Uh-huh And the beat goes on The beat goes on The drums keep pounding A rhythm to the brain La da da dee, la da da da. The grocery stores are supermarkets. Uh-huh. Little girls will break their hearts. Uh uh-huh. And men still keep on marching up to war. Baseball score, and the beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee, la da 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 da. Grandma's Sitting chairs and rim on this. Boys keep chasing girls to get a kiss. The cars keep a going faster all the time. Goes on, the beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La de de dee, la da de da and the beat goes on. Yes, the beat goes on, and the beat goes on.
4: Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is once again five o'clock on a Wednesday, and we've got a rich, bold pot brewing. We got a hell of a cup of Joe coming to you today. Um, we got a couple of interesting guests today. We've got. Uh, Robert Kowalski, and uh, I haven't met him personally, um, but what I understand about Robert is uh, he's got quite a story to tell, and he's going after the end of Prohibition in a unique way. Then we have, um, hopefully, we'll have uh, Howard Wildridge join us, and this is a special uh, day for all of us because... In all the time I've been doing this show, which is now, I don't know, I think it's been more than four years, I've been doing it in some version or another, um, I have had people that have disagreed with me, have vehemently disagreed with me, have personally not liked me, have left the Human Solution International because they didn't like me, um, all these personal things have happened over the last 10 years of, of being the CEO of this organization. I've been doing a version of this show, I think it's, again, I think it's been since 2013 is when we started. So we're going on five years of a radio show one way or another. And I always had people that would come on to social network, Facebook or whatever, and do their little diatribes, their little troll attacks and and make their statements. And I always thought that Facebook was such a magical place because you can say anything you want. It's almost like Alice's Restaurant. You can do anything you want. You can say anything you want. You can get anything you want. And nobody's got anything to say about it because if I said it, it must be true, right? These people that live their lives in the social network ethers um, and and are so connected to this matrix. Um, turned out, people could be awful destructive by just making a a comment, an innuendo. First example of that was while I was going through my case, I was accused of many things. I was accused of stealing electricity. I was accused of illegal marijuana sales. I was accused of, I think, money laundering at one time. I was accused of. I don't know, I think I had 27 felonies in my first, uh, or in the second case, initially. When they first came out, they came out strong with all of these. And then one by one, as they realized I was going to stand up and fight my case, they started dropping them because they knew they couldn't defend it. But they made the claim. And on the public record at one point, I was accused, charged, of crimes. And I had people, people that had met me, they had come to a, a an educational event at my place. Had been to my house at one time or another, and I had watched these people who had climbed the the ladder of fame in the in the cannabis movement. And I keep putting my air quotes up because it's all bullshit. Anybody who's pot famous has got major problems. Um, there is no good pot famous. I can tell you that. Lay low, and you can be productive. That being said. I had multiple people over the years accuse me publicly, as though it was fact, of things that I had been accused of by a prosecutor, and the prosecutor had even taken it back. And I thought to myself, I said to myself, Phil, how could it be that somebody who's supposedly a freedom warrior, somebody who supposedly is on my team, on the team of Gathering liberty and freedom for the citizens of the world and liberty for this plant could be making accusations that they heard from a prosecutor, but the prosecutor even backed off from. What's going on there? And it's then I realized that people aren't here for the movement as much as they claim. Watch my leg, please, 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 please. People are not there for the movement. They're not there for what you think necessarily, they're there for something in some way that helps, preserves, promotes their self-interest. I have been fortunate enough and unfortunate enough, as the case may be, to have met a lot of people on this journey. A lot of people. Personally, in groups, uh, in forums. Uh, speaking in large groups, I've met a lot of people. Five years ago today, I was sitting on a bus heading to Montana from Southern California without any money. We had to big borrow for money just to put fuel in the tank so that we could go up to Montana to help this poor bastard who was facing 90 years for pot. And the government was using gun charges to get it to happen. And nobody was there. The locals weren't there. So we came from Arizona. We came from California. We came from all around. We gathered ourselves together. We put our nickels together. We put our begging shoes on. And we got ourselves up there. And we made a difference. I want everybody, as we're starting this show, to be mindful of a few things. Well, number one, people in general, and I'm not saying there's not exceptions to this, but we got to paint with some sort of a broad brush to cover the ground we need to cover. People in general do things that protect their own interest. So put that little checkbox on. Number two, everybody that is here in this movement, not everybody is here for the reason that they wear on their face. There are people who are trying to undermine the very things we're fighting for. There are people who don't know any better, and they're trying to pass a law that will limit what other people need, thinking that it's the best we can do. There are people who genuinely want freedom, and they'll do anything anybody who seems interested um, suggests. There's all kinds of people out there, but not everybody that's in this movement is here for the same reason and is here in a way that's going to help us accomplish it. There are many... In many, many cases, I think we are our own worst enemy most of the time, and that's why we talk about the coalition. That's why we talk about marching together. That's why we talk about speaking with one voice, and that's why we talk about being effective, okay? So let's think about that. How do we be effective? One, we, we create a message. You know, remember, prohibition exists, and I sometimes I feel like I'm just, repeating a mantra, but in some cases a mantra is effective. Prohibition exists because a bunch of greedy bastards got together and decided that cannabis was such a threat to their well-being and their livelihood that it needed to be stopped, and that the people that grew and promoted and used cannabis were a threat to their industry and their their well-being, that they had to be stopped, and that's the truth. So the initial campaigns that ultimately led to prohibition as we know it today, they began as a campaign of misinformation, lies. And then on top of it, when Richard Nixon passed the Controlled Substances Act and put cannabis into Schedule One. How many people know why he did that? He didn't do it to make it such a serious crime. He did it so that it could not be researched, and that was the reason. If you can't open up the door of the truth, if you can't open it up, you can't discover how valuable it is. So they were able to put it in a classification of the world's most deadliest compounds, without much opposition, and they put it in a box that couldn't be opened because you can't research it. Schedule one drugs are not qualified for government research. And we all know that unless you got the government money, you're not going to get the research done. Why do you think the military gets all the good stuff? Because they put all the money into it. That's why all of our advances in science have come out of the military and the space program, always boiling down to the military, because that is where the money is going to get spent. That's the deep, dark secret, folks. That's the way it is. So in order to communicate effectively and speak with one voice, there's two things to think about. One is to have your facts, to have them accurate, to be truthful at all times, because if you go swinging crap, In today's world, eventually, somebody's going to figure it out and you're going to get pegged and you'll be irrelevant in this conversation quickly. You lie to me once, you are irrelevant for the rest of your life. That's just how it works. So to get our facts right, to get our talking points, get our messaging clear, and two, to be mindful of how we speak. Now, the world has become a, a snowstorm full of snowflakes, and everybody's sensibilities and and feelings get hurt so quickly and easily. I'm not talking about that. I don't care if your feelings get hurt. I don't have feelings, so they can't get hurt. That's not the point. The point is that when you are disparaging about something or someone, you will either discredit yourself, because people don't necessarily want to hear that crap, or you will discredit the person or group or whatever it is that you're trying to disparage, or both. But what will not happen is you will not gain any ground for the movement that you're supporting. You will not gain any ground towards the cause that you're trying to raise up. It isn't going to happen. So we need to pay attention to how we speak and what we speak about. Not because something's going to happen to us, but because we're going to waste our goddamn time. We don't want to waste our time doing this stuff. We don't want to waste our time. I don't want to waste my time. I enjoy doing this show, but it's tiring. I, I, I commit myself to putting on the very best show that I can, which means I go out of my way to research my topics to make sure that I'm not talking out my ass, to make sure that I've got people that are interesting and interested in being on the show, and hopefully to reach out to as big of an audience as we can. For example, last week's show, we got another 1,000 viewers on top of our previous highest viewership. Another 1,000. So, you know, this is grassroots. There's not a nickel behind this campaign. This is a free show put on as a gift by the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network. They've given it to us to, do, to use. It doesn't cost you to watch it. it doesn't cost us to put it on. It costs us our time and your time equal participation but with this we have the ability to get a message of truth out into as far and wide as we see fit so to watch the readership or the listenership of this show increase tells me that it's working it tells me that we need to continue doing what we're doing so on my end of it keep showing up this is not a sprint it's a marathon showing up for the race will cause us to win eventually that's it we got to remember that don't be tired. Don't give up. Just keep showing up. You show up enough times and we'll gain the ground that we need to. Number two, we have to be relevant. And if we think that it has value to go and post in public network that this is a waste, that you guys are just being a bunch of stoners, yapping at each other, trying to convince each other to uh, that legalization is cool, I say to myself, how dare you? You clearly don't listen to the show. You clearly came on my show, no problem. But you didn't listen to it, because if you listened to it, you would know what this is all about. So let's talk about it for those who didn't bother to listen before. We're, we're here to make change. This show is about making change. This show is about changing policy, to use the words of this cop. Again, showed up one time, was a great interview." was treated with the utmost respect, then came back, treated us like a cop would treat a bunch of stoners, with with disdain, with uh, condescendence. I say to myself, I'll put me in the same room with you. Let's have a conversation. I'm not the Wizard of Oz, and I don't even have a college degree, but I guarantee you I can have a conversation with you about liberty, freedom, and how to get it. And how maybe it's a waste of your time to just spend all of your energy trying to get lawmakers to do something. Because let's talk about history. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how change has been made in the past. Okay? Let's talk about lawmakers. For God's sake, consider the term lawmaker. The United States was not born out of a a law that was enacted that said we're going to allow our colonies to have autonomy and freedom and let them separate from the motherland and become their own individual country with rights and privileges therein. That's not what happened at all. What happened was we came over here as a bunch of outlaws and pioneers and people who were willing to walk away from what we had in hopes of something better. And we pitched our tents. We started building homes, and we started hunting and gathering and farming and building and blacksmithing and creating our own little industry from nothing. We came here with nothing. We came here to nothing, and we started to build. At the same time, there was a crown over our heads. They said that's good, you're growing, prospering, give to the king, part of your your riches, and, you know, we'll, we'll let you continue doing what it is you're doing, well, over time, we started producing more than we were getting back, and at one point, the good revolutionaries of the time made a decision that this isn't working out, we're not getting anything for our tax money. We're not being represented as they laid it out. And they met in dark alleys, and they met in bars and barns and little places, and they gathered together weapons, and they gathered together their ideas, and they shared the knowledge between themselves without it getting out to their enemies. And they began to strategize. And at one point, they took action. And at one point, that action got violent. I do not ever illicit violence. I'm talking about a point in history, hundreds of years ago. But at that time, there was probably no other way that they were going to accomplish what they were going to, because they didn't have a constitution, they didn't have a declaration of independence, they had a Magna Carta that really didn't count for them at the time. So they had to spill some blood to get this autonomy. It was all or nothing. They were either going to win or lose. If they lost, it was going to get ugly. It's going to get way ugly. So the nation was born out of a bunch of outlaws. Sorry. Hate to break it to you folks, you lawmakers, but when you go and fire guns at the enemy and you determine that your government is the enemy, you become an outlaw pretty quickly and pretty vigorously. So... Let there be no question. Our nation was born of an outlaw act, just saying. We sit here today, bloated, fractionalized dichotomy and a conundrum in the same bowl of soup. We are the most partisan, gridlocked, heating, ineffective, worthless Congress, executive, and judicial branch that I've ever seen or even heard of. I have watched in my lifetime, in my voting lifetime, as I should say, both houses and the presidency be Republican, both houses and the presidency be Democrat, the executive be one side, the Congress be the other, Congress be one side, the Senate be the other. I've seen every variation that I could imagine of our government. And you know what I haven't seen? A difference. I haven't seen any of those versions work. Not one. When it's the houses are split, it's because the houses are split. When the houses are together, there's another reason. There's always a reason why Congress is worthless. And they accomplish nothing for us. So, why are they there? Let's think about that. I'm not here to give a history lesson. I'm here to outlaw how do we make change? And how do we not make change? The initial congresses that were set up by our founding fathers were never, ever. Ever intended to be a career. Politics was designed to be a service that everybody participated in. And if you were a landowner or you had some affiliation or you had some wealth at all, you're supposed to put your time in that government. That's what they said. Go read it. Read about it. It was never intended to be a career. If the the founding fathers were to see some of these legacies of these senators, you know, these senators that are 80 and 90 years old and more, and they've served 20 and 30 terms, what the hell? Do you think maybe there's a problem? Now, let me clarify this. If there was a congressman that had served more than three or four terms and had a body of work that said, this guy is so worth being here, he should stay. My God, let him stay. If you're a value to the nation and its people, raise it up. But you show me one. You show me one congressman, senator, judge, president, throughout the history, maybe since Abraham Lincoln, you show me one that was worthy of that next term that if they could have it, they would have. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it. A lot of people loved Obama. I didn't see any real positive change in the world, certainly not in America. The economy, people can take credit for or not. How much does the economy really have to do with the president? Go back and look at, see what influencing factors are. You'll determine that not as much as you would think, not as much as we would like. Our president is more of a scapegoat than a true leader in many ways. We like to blame him for the stuff we don't like, and we like to give him credit for the stuff we do like when we like him or when we don't. That's kind of the way it goes down. But let's get back to the lawmakers. Everybody that I know, or not everybody, the the people that I know that are typical of the people that I don't know, I should say, when you say, let's go change something, their first answer is, where's the signature? Let's gather signatures. Let's pass a law. Has anybody possibly looked into the criminal code or the the health and safety code or any code that we have that governs, regulates, taxes, uh, or, or, or oversees us? You are looking at volumes, volumes and volumes and volumes of laws. Now, I don't know how to break it down to you folks, but there's the point where we don't need any more laws. We probably hit that point 20 years ago. There comes a new technology. There comes new things that, that would say, "Wow, we hadn't thought of that one. Maybe we should create a policy about it. But most of the time, if you go and look at the laws on the books, they're redundant. They're self-serving. For the most part, laws today are tax collectors. They're revenue gatherers. They're yokes. They're things to hold people back. We talk about being a nation of laws, and and we interpret that to be civilized and progressive. And then you listen to progressive people talk, and, you know, they're arrogant, pompous people who really don't have your best interests in mind. Neither side really does. So let's think about these lawmakers. Job it is. In their name, they're lawmakers. Their job is to make laws. By now... What more laws do we need? You know, do we have 450 full-time jobs to make them? Or whatever the number of congressmen we have now? And the senators put it all together, 625, whatever the number is. I'm not here to debate numbers. I'm here to talk about the concept. How many lawmakers do we need? And how much money do we have to pay them? Forever. You know how much money and tax dollars and energy we put into holding up these revered people. They make money till they die, they have the best health coverage till they die, they have protection, they have all these things. They're they're treated with reverence. And then let's think about why they do what they do. Lawmakers are affected as much, if not more, by lobbyists than they are by voters. Obvious are people who work for special interests. They're people who support companies and organizations who want lawmakers to do things for them. Now, maybe at one time there was a law that would come into the books, and it would be a law, just that. But nowadays, if you look at a law, it's got hundreds of pages. And we let this happen, folks. We let this happen. We haven't stopped it. We haven't tried to curtail it. We haven't done anything to, to, to upgrade it. I think there's some line item veto power that's been given recently. But other than that, we allow these bloviated, gigantic bills to go through. And with the title of this law is about this, and then you read the subtext that goes back pages and chapters deep, and there's special appropriations for this and special this for that. A specialist for that. And here's Craig Cecil, and I will continue when he's done. will have call. You will not
6: be charged for this call. This call is from an inmate and a federal prison. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call or to accept. Dial 5. Craig
4: Cecil, how are you doing today?
6: Hello, Joe. Well,
4: it's dark and
6: cold here in Indiana, but uh, all else is
4: well, I suppose. Well, it's uh, twilight and rather warm here in California.
6: Uh-huh, and you should be getting that big moon out there. I don't know what time. I think it's sometime today, though. Yeah,
4: this morning at about 5 o'clock in the morning, I think it peaked, but yeah, we got the, we got the blue blood moon. So, for all you blue bloods out there, today's your moon. And <laughs> yeah, for some reason, the
6: blue moon was right. I'm not sure.
4: Well, the blue if that's moon. some sort of political statement or what. Well, the, the blue moon just means that there's two full moons in a month period. So, because uh, the full moon is on a 28 day cycle, it once in a while fits two of them inside of a 30, 31 day month. And then a, a blood moon is a reference to when the orbit of the moon is closer than usual. So there's an illusion that the moon is red because it's a little bit lower on the horizon, so the, the red uh, shows more out of, out of its image. Well, it keeps things a bit exciting, even the moon is changed. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, as much as we all... Look at it every night and, and think we know anything. Truth is, we still don't know what the hell's on the other side of it, for the most part. <laughs> good, good
6: thing I think Pink Floyd educated us about the dark side as well. I I couldn't
4: agree more. I I I I've agreed to see him over there as well one day. So one one day when I'm free of these chains, I'll go fly around the dark side and see what's going on. Probably a big party. Probably, probably. So, what's happening but, uh, up but, there uh, in has been quiet this
6: week as far as I've heard
4: <laughs> Well, you know it's interesting. Um, we were talking today, well, we've been talking kind of all week about this, and um, you know we have a lot of people, especially inmates, when I talk to them about you know needing to make change, they always tell me we gotta talk to our congressmen, we gotta talk to our congressmen we gotta like the congressmen somehow hold the key to our success and 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 the truth is. In reality, we are a nation of laws, and and lawmakers do make laws, and those lawmakers can affect policy, and they can pass laws that can affect individuals' freedom. But generally speaking, unless there's a giant clamoring for it, throughout all of history, lawmakers haven't done shit. If you think about it, and you look back through all the historical events that have raised us up from a nation of barbarians that we started out to a nation of laws, as we might be today. Um, if you think about it, and you look at all the big, the major points in history, Congress by itself never did much. You know, we had a revolutionary war that broke us away from England. There were no laws involved there. And then we had, at one point, um, women gained a right to vote. And that wasn't because of the lawmakers. It was because of a gigantic uproaring of citizens. And then we had a civil war, which, frankly, Congress didn't have a lot to do with. We had a lot of people that were um, adamantly positioned on one side of a of a of an opinion or another, and they were willing to shed blood over it. Well, when that all settled, sure enough, we got some laws. But even those Law. laws, think about the initial laws that came out of it. How flawed they were. Out of slavery, initially, the black men were not given a full vote. They were, they were entitled to be, what was it, five-eighths or something? It was less than a full man's vote. And, and lawmakers somehow at one point thought that was a good idea. And then you got, um, you know, the, the amendment that ended slavery, but it put it into the prison system. It said, well, we're not going to allow each other to enslave each other unless, and they left this unless clause that said our prisons basically get to be slave camps. And that's how it is today. It wasn't the lawmakers. It is. It is. It wasn't the lawmakers. Said, been, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, I, I was just going to comment that
6: in, in those changes, like even slavery and some of the other changes, were the bulk of Americans really wanted things to change. What slavery took us, what seventy-five years to finally get the laws right. It
4: was a good long time, and and in that seventy-five years which, count them, folks, that's generations. That's not just, um, you know, a couple of weeks. This is generations of time, even after the war was over and after technically slavery was abolished, it wasn't over. There were Jim Crow laws that went on that were just as bad as slavery. Uh, A a, a black family, a black man couldn't marry a a white woman. A white man couldn't couldn't marry a black woman. None of those things were lawful to get a job, to get an ed- education, none of that stuff, even though technically the law said you could, public sentiment wouldn't allow it in many, many places. It wasn't until a few individuals got loud enough and and got uh, – they rallied enough people and they got they, – they had to um, – they had to expose themselves, and, and in many cases, they didn't survive that exposure to, to scrutiny and, and even attack. And, and ultimately, my point is that most of the major change that's happened historically has happened because of few brave people that were willing to stand up against an oppressive, tyrannical government and willing to stand up and risk their own freedom and safety enough to where other people would stand up, and rallied enough of a public support that the government finally said, oh, crap, we better do this or it's going to go wrong. And that's when the real change seems to happen.
6: Well, that's why I'm confused now, is that there's so little resistance to the decriminalization of marijuana anymore. I mean, there's some out there, but I mean, In the overall picture, it's so small. I mean, why are these politicians afraid to make a stand? Why are they afraid to stand up and say, we need to bring this up for a vote, and we need to go on the record as to what our vote is? Because I can't imagine, like from California, I can't imagine any of your uh, uh, House members or senators even considering voting against marijuana when the people in California have spoken so strongly about it
4: well and and here's the thing though, if you think about this, I've spent the last week sort of studying civil rights leaders and human rights leaders in if, if you go back and you look out through the history um, and, and you look at the events that we have made change for, there was a steady stream and a steady and increasing stream of protest and of of Really vocal media gathering events and actions that happened, and it never stopped. What happens unfortunately, Craig is that in California, we go out of our way, we pass a law, okay, we get an initiative, we get enough signatures, we get the votes, and then everybody shuts up, and everybody's busy trying to start a pot business, and nobody stays with it until the job 's done and and here 's the other thing and i and I hate to be so adamant about this, but when Do you think that Martin Luther King would have sold out for less than pure equality? Do you think Rosa Parks would have put up with less than pure equality? That anything less than a person being equal to a person would be okay. None of them. Not one of them would have been okay with that. They never would have given up and said, well, slavery will end except for these one circumstances. None of them would have done that. But for whatever reason, with pot, we're willing to say, "Well, I know it never hurt anybody. I know it's just a plan. I know it could help lots of people." But okay, we'll treat it like a Schedule II substance and tax it like a like a like a, a, a hazardous substance. We're willing to give up all these concessions, and for what? And, and what really is the reason for that? I just I would love to have a debate with somebody that stand up and tell me why do we have to tax cannabis like alcohol when it's nothing like it. It doesn't make sense. And even in places such as California, it's my understanding your recreational
6: laws are so restrictive that most of the people that are really in the know just don't like it. I mean, they they don't think it's the right law.
4: Well, most of the people that I know, and that's a few people, <laughs> anyways, the the people that support the regulation typically... Are people that are very well funded, and they have enough money to get through all the hoops. They have enough money to, um, you know, to 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 weather the storm of the of the taxes and the regulations and the permits and the fines and the fees and all of that. They have enough enough resources to overcome that. Everybody else, pretty much, is dead set against it. Even though they voted for it, but they voted for it because there was no other choice and everybody seems to be okay, they seem to be okay with, with giving up half of the, the, the loot, half of the, the, the goal to accomplish the other half. And I say again, what if women's suffrage movement ended saying women get to vote only on certain items? They don't get to vote on everything, but they get to only vote on these things. Do you think everything would be cool? No, it wouldn't be cool. What if the, the, the Gay Marriage Act, said, well, you know, you can get only married, and it only covers this, but not that. No, they wouldn't have been okay. They'd still be marching in the streets today, saying we need to be equal. Well, the same thing goes true. You cannot treat cannabis any different than a rose or a sunflower if you want to be accurate about it, because it's not any more dangerous. And it just doesn't make sense. We've given up. We just keep being willing to give up the, the farm to get a donkey, and I just don't want a donkey. Well,
6: hopefully we can inspire some of our federal lawmakers to go on the record. Where do you stand? And the best way to know where they stand is to cause them to vote. I mean, then you know exactly where they stand.
4: <laughs> well, I think that it's going to take a lot of us to, to get off of our asses and, and, and really – you know, to get to take to the streets and demand it. I, I, I think that, you know, we've got to look at the definition of insanity as given by some people and say that to keep trying to do the thing that doesn't work over and over again, expecting a different outcome, at one point, just fucking crazy. And maybe it takes a, 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 an inspired, creative, Maybe a little crazy mind to go outside of that thinking. And maybe it takes somebody willing to go and, you know, lead a charge up the, up the hill a little bit and say, you know what, we're willing to, to get bloodied and bruised. If you don't do what we say, we're going to take you out. We're going to boat you out. We're going to, you know, keep throwing them out. I, I agree with the whole notion of, of, you know, dump the incumbent and bring in a new one. Let's keep doing it until we get the one we want. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. I just I, I, I I'm very frustrated with this line of thinking that, you know, if we just picked up the phone and called one more time it'll it'll get it done. I think we need to do more.
6: Well one thing I also look at is uh, attorney general Jeff Stations. I mean just a very outspoken opponent of, you know, any sort of marijuana uh legalization. And it was about a year and a half ago. He was all over the uh the prior Attorney General for not going after the marijuana stores in Colorado and and elsewhere. But now that he's in there, if you notice, he hasn't sent the federal agents out after the uh, marijuana stores and the like. And I, I think the reason is, is that would attract enough attention to it where people would stand up and say, oh, no, no, no. We voted for this. We agreed to this. This is ours. You're not going to take that. And that would bring up a vote. So that's why I think so those people have kind of just try to keep their, their enforcement just kind of under the radar so that, you know, the people won't uprise
4: against it? Well, you know, here's what's happening too, Craig. There are raids going on in Colorado every week, but you don't hear about them. And if you actually look up the stats, in 2016 we had, I forget, it was over, a I think it was over, a hundred or two hundred thousand marijuana arrests still, and as, as every single state moving forward, getting close to thirty states now that are that are supportive on one level or another, uh, the number of raids really don't change. What they do now is they call it an illegal marijuana grow or an illegal marijuana shop or an illegal whatever. There's your first beep, Craig. I'm going to turn it back to you. Okay. Well. I think we're on the same page here. Is We need to fire up our lawmakers. We need to
6: uh, get as many people as possible to send an email, send a letter, send a, you know, anything you can the senator, to the House member. You know, get them involved. Get them on the record. Get them to say, I am going to vote. This is how I'm going to vote. And I think that would make all the difference, just as it did, you know, with women's suffrage. In well, time, it, it... let's call that a
4: challenge. I, I would like to see... Somebody show me evidence of their congressman responding to that, and we will raise up that congressman or knock him down, depending on their point of view.
6: You know, Bob.
4: Well, there he goes. Once again, Craig Cecil doesn't get to uh, finish his conversation because he gets 15 minutes and 15 minutes only. And that's one of the reasons that we keep fighting, and we keep fighting and we will keep fighting until we end this, and we won't end this until there isn't any more Craig Cecils, and there aren't any more Jimmy Romans, and there aren't any more Richard DeLicis, and there aren't any more Michael Thompsons, and there aren't any more Michael Pelletier's, and all these other folks that are locked up in prison, either for life or for a sentence that might as well be life. So we have, right now... Don't
2: forget Aaron Sandusky. And Aaron
4: Sandusky, who's... Serving a 10-year sentence right now.
5: There he is. He's in prison for pot.
4: Ten he years. not
5: be in there.
4: For pot. And Aaron Sandusky was doing something he's considered to be legal in California at the time he was doing it, the way he was doing it, and with whom he was doing it with. But, again, the feds didn't see it that way, and he's serving a 10-year sentence, mandatory minimum. So we now have up next a new feature. And this new feature is... Um, hosted by a guy who was a lifer. He served 32 years in federal prison for pot. And I think um, George and I agree on a lot of things. And a lot of it is being effective. Being effective. We need to raise up our allies and focus our message and educate people until it just doesn't make sense to oppose this anymore. George Martirano Um, is now a featured guest on this show. He's got a a segment, 15 minutes or so, um, following Craig Cecil's. And so without further ado, George Martirano, a modern-day superhero and uh, rising from the ashes, as so many of us do. George, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
7: Hey, my brother. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. I need you to speak a little closer to the phone or something. I need to get you louder.
7: Okay. Can you hear me?
4: That's better.
7: Yep. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Hello? Always
4: a pleasure, George. Yes, always a pleasure. I'm always wanting to hear what you have to say. Your, your feature has
7: inspired
4: uh, curiosity. Go ahead.
7: Anyway, uh, I want to tell, uh, the audience that, uh, uh, I came up with this idea, uh, I'm opening up an eatery on the East Coast. It's called uh, Bucket and Stinger. stinger. Bucket, bucket and, and stinger.
6: stinger.
7: Yeah, because in prison, uh, if you wanted to cook pasta, you had to have a Bucket and Stinger. So I came up with this idea to open up a Bucket and Stinger, and lo and behold, I have three cities already on the East Coast that want to open them. No way! Yeah, people that wow, were in prison for fantastic. cannabis that are free now that want to open up buckets and stingers, and I'm not, I'm not even open yet. So imagine that. But yeah, uh, <laughs> ironic. Uh, uh, so the uh, the people that have gotten out uh, uh, out of prison that that used the bucket and stinger for all those years, like I have, uh, want to. I'll be open in March, and then uh, I'll bring you in the East Coast so you can see it, and we'll probably open up one. Ah, uh, well, you're out. It's called Bucket and Stinger, so I want to share a humorous, humorous statement with the the audience. Bucket and Stinger will be opening in Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, and probably out west also.
4: Ah, uh, it's fantastic. Well, I don't know a lot of people that don't like a good pasta, so it, uh, it 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 sounds like a formula for success.
7: Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing how. Uh, when you when you're in prison and you and you do and you do good, then you come out and your and your and your positiveness uh, carries on. Uh, now, is it a bucket and stinger for me? No. If I open up a bucket and stinger, what I'm happy about, it will employ people uh, that have uh, you know that need employment and uh, want a life. So that's more that's more what I'm more about. So, hopefully, um, in five years, six years, there'll be bucketing stingers in several cities giving people, uh, paying their bills and having a life.
4: What do you think, George, about being kind of a place that would allow um, a former felon to uh, gain employment?
7: Well, you have to. You have to. You have to uh, forgive and forget, you know, because – you know when you when you're incarcerated you, you you come out older you can have older and, and you, you need a life you need a way to go so uh, if a person like me uh, can help that can, can give employment that's what it's all about and that's what uh, uh, the government uh, especially the federal government has to understand that when you're keeping good people in too long especially Canada's people uh, are good people When uh, all the institutions That I were at uh, And I was a mentor teacher To many many lifestyle change classes uh, When I used to hit A compound uh, I always had the red carpet with the staff uh, To continue my Programming which is lifestyle Change And uh, the first thing I did when I hit A compound was saying Who were the guys doing Time for For uh, uh, cannabis for weed for pot for marijuana and i would meet these individuals and there would be five six of them and they had the character they had the good character to get involved in my programming i wanted to share that with the, with the audience ladies and gentlemen that uh, for, for years i taught at many many institutions and some of the worst institutions that the federal government had to offer but as soon as i created, those, uh, setting up my educational program, I would have my uh, uh, search account compound for cannabis people because they had the right character. So, and these people with the right character, they the government has thrown their lives away. So that doesn't make a bit of sense because the wardens, the wardens and the AWs, the system wardens, approved these individuals to work with them because they knew they were good people. But when they're sentenced, they're bad people. But when they're, when they're doing their lives of being thrown away in the institutions, they're looked at as good people and the best people to work with. Now, what sense is that, America? What sense is that? Joe? You know,
4: no, it makes no sense at all. And I, I think that that's, that's a big part of the discussion that I'm trying to have, you know, with, with people that, that don't seem to understand. We, we have made a crime out of a plant, for God's sake. And, and I, I don't know if most people today don't understand how friggin' ridiculous that is. And, and if you were to say, if I was to say to you, George, I think tomorrow we should outlaw watercress because, and I come up with whatever reason, and I'd say we need to we need to, to start a campaign against watercress. I would have to lie every which way there was to try to convince anybody that watercress was bad enough to be a crime. But The truth is, that's what happened with cannabis. It's no more dangerous than watercress, and yet. Somebody like you lost 32 years of their life because of this plant, and not because of anything else, not because you hurt somebody or ripped them off or embezzled them or threatened them. It was because of this plant and this plant alone. And I just think that if we could get a a, a real common sense debate, and, and nobody yet can come up with anything other than lies to back up why this plant should be dangerous. There isn't any
6: evidence
7: well, that's the ironic part. I mean the uh, the powers that be and in the institutions were, that I were at uh, welcomed and, and and welcomed and gave us uh, complete autonomy because we were in there for cannabis because they knew we had we were guys of better character. but yet <laughs> in front of the in the courts and sending with the prosecutors. We were treated, we were treated like monsters. But then we exactly. got the sentence, and we go in to die. We go in to die in the in the in the penal system. We were considered good people. So that's that's what I need. I pray, I pray someday I can get in front of Congress, uh, and uh, or the, the a national uh, uh, judicial convention, which is every year, all the federal judges, and relay this. You, you throw away our lives because we were we were in front of you for cannabis, but when you throw away our lives and you put us in hell, you want us to, uh, to uh, 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 step forward and help the situation. Does that right. make a bit of sense? No one knows What's better target? than me because I, I lived it. I graduated over 8,000 federal inmate students in lifestyle changes, 8,000. And I had life, no parole.
4: Well, I think that if anybody has earned the legitimacy to to have that audience, I think that you've earned it, for one, and I think that you could articulate it better than most for two. So maybe that should be one of our, our personal missions, is to get that audience, get you in front of, these lawmakers and judicial boards and, and people of influence that influence today's policies, uh, both prison policies, sentencing policies, and, um, you know, just the general uh, health and safety laws that affect all of us regarding this plan.
6: Well, you know,
7: it's, you know, thank God for the human solutions and the, and the voices is giving out, you know, uh, uh, the reaching out to people and then, you know, but they have to understand, like we said last week's show, we're not asking you for uh, for big uh, protests. We're just asking you when you go, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to the store or uh, you go to pick up your uh, your child at school, just talk to one individual, two individuals, and say it's wrong. It's wrong what's being done to the cannabis people. It's wrong. It's wrong. So, uh, and how many ironically how many politicians judges and prosecutors have indulged with cannabis in their lives and you know that's that's the paramount of uh, being a hypocrite you know i'm sure i'm sure my situations with the the agents the prosecutors and whatever they all had indulged but they they chose to throw away my life because it was uh I can't even say politically correct. it was to enhance enhance their their jobs, okay, so they can earn more money from my suffering, and it's still going on today, so many, so many individuals. and then when you get in, like I said, I'm only repeating myself, then when you get into the federal uh, penal system, uh, the, 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 from the warden all down, they want the cannabis people to assist like me for me and Gene Fisher, uh, people like that, you know, we're mentor educators and, 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 Randy Lanier, and you can go on and on and on a great Cecil, so I'm, I'm sure he's involved in some educational programs because they know we're not bad people, but, and when we get, we're in court, we're monsters. So I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out, but Like I said, with the Human Solutions block uh, uh, broadcast radio, you just you have to be you have to be patient, and and you have to pay you can't be totally derogatory. You just try to try to make changes the best way we can with the little we have, Joe.
4: Well, I can't agree with you more. And George, you know, we talked about this when you when you were staying with me for a little while. Uh, This radio show here is one as one. one platform to get this message out. And I've watched, Mm -hmm. since you've joined the show with me, um, the last two shows we've gained a 1,000 new listeners. Last time and again this last week we gained another 1,000. So just having a conversation, what you're doing Mm -hmm. and I'm doing, is reaching more people because of this show and the people that are participating and sharing it and talking about it and and being a part of it. Mm It's getting a bigger broadcast. The beacon's getting brighter. And last week, uh, Sunday I think it was, I did another little little video clip and, you know, got another few hundred people to, to join in the conversation. And so you're right. This is not a sprint to the finish line. You're never going to push your way through it too fast. What it, takes, what it takes for us to show up every day, to get our message out there, and we need a few people that are willing to be exceptional. You know, George, you've got this uh, life experience, and you came out of this horrific experience with uh, an eloquence and, a, and an ability to. And most people, frankly, I, I, you know, I've known a lot of people that got out of prison, and and I don't haven't known any of them that came out with the uh, uh, the message and the and the the wherewithal that you have, and so. Um, If you look through history, it's not been Congress that changed anything. It's been a handful of people that rallied the masses, that did exceptional things, that had that communication, that got the message to be broad enough spoken that policy changed long before a law got enacted. Or in many cases, a law got enacted that didn't affect policy, and it didn't change until finally the people decided, oh, yeah, I guess we better step along with this. You look through history well, and that's how it's happening
2: Well
7: We're not, we're human beings We're human beings that were thrown away For a plant And I'm going to end with a poem I read Especially for tonight And right. here it
4: goes Okay
7: no, <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen No one can know my life For I'm the one They chose To be the loneliness In this loneliness, my heart drips drop by drop. Thus, all the drops are placed in my cup of sorrow, which I am forced to drink again and again. Oh, God, please send someone to make it stop, even if it's drop by drop. Joe, thank you for bringing me on the show. I'll be there for you next week, brother.
4: Absolutely, George. I appreciate you being here, folks. Once again, George Martorano from the East Coast served 32 years for this plant, and he's still, still with it. He's still fighting for our rights. He's still trying to raise the world up. It's not just about the plant, folks. It's about making the world better. It's about... Educating the people that need to be educated. It's about raising up the people that need to be raised up. And most importantly, it's about not giving up. It's about being better. Thank you so much, George. We respect you, you. and I'm uh, glad right. you could join us. I'll
2: be seeing.
7: right, I'll be seeing you soon. Have my have my cot ready. <laughs> I
4: look forward to it. All right, brother. All right, brother. <laughs>
7: bye bye. All
4: right. Once again, George Martirano. Um You know, it always uh, kind of chokes me up when you when you you see the people that are involved and are not involved and the people that you know I look at I look at almost with disdain at, at our cannabis industry. Um, and I and I I don't actually look with disdain but I almost do because the people that benefit most from it today, frankly, are the people that have done the least to make it happen and are the people that aren't helping finish the job. And remember as I, as I was saying before, Craig Cecil called in, who's currently serving life without possibility of parole, and then before George Martorano called in, who served 32 years for pot, we were talking about these laws and compromise. And what do you think Nelson Mandela thought about compromise? Do you think he thought it was a good idea just to give up some of the rights? For others, so that at least we get something. What do you think Martin Luther King Jr. thought about compromise? Do you think he thought it was okay for some people to have treatment and others not? What do you think anybody who has stood up for something bigger than themselves thinks about compromise? There is no compromise when it comes to human rights. So I want to know. Why does this plant need to be treated different than a watercress or a rutabaga? You give me one reason, and you back it up with science, and we'll have a discussion. All right. Coming up next, we've got, oh, Howard Wildridge has joined us. That's fantastic. All right. We got Tom Corby on the line, and he's got a NorCal report. He'll uh, come up probably at the end of the show. We got Greg Keeling from Ohio, he's going to give us an update, and um, hopefully we got Robert Kowalski, but we got Howard Wooldridge. I've been looking forward to talk to Howard since this weekend. Um, Howard Wooldridge came on the show about a month ago. He's a retired law enforcement officer, did a fantastic interview, talked about his uh, mission. Um, he's been, since he got out of law enforcement, he rode his horse across America, um, he's been educating people about legalizing and he's been reaching out to Congress. He, he Every day he goes and he talks to lawmakers and that is his, um, his plan to change policy. We talk about changing policy constantly on the show, it's pretty much all we talk about. Um, but just talking to lawmakers is a way to change policy. We talk about all kinds of ways to change policy. And uh, Howard had made a statement that I vehemently disagreed with. I offered to talk to him about it on the radio. And, Howard, i got to congratulate you. You are the first person in five years that has accepted my offer to talk about something uh, where we disagreed. So, uh, without further ado, Howard Wooldridge from Law Mm -hmm. Enforcement. uh, Let's see. It used to be Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Now it's Law Enforcement Action. Come on. Help me out. Partnership. 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 there we go. All right. <laughs> I know I, I, I'm right there with you. I just forgot the the, the, the newest version here. All right. So Howard, okay. how have you had a chance to listen to today's show
1: at all? I apologize. Uh, I've had some personal situations here in Washington, D.C., which has a, consumed quite a bit of my day. Uh, I apologize for that. And I also want to apologize for my comments on Facebook. Uh, I was inappropriate. I was wrong. And uh, I was hasty in my in my writing, and I I, I want to apologize for that. Uh, anything wow. and everything anyone does to move the issue forward, whether an individual, whether it's in your city, your your state, whatever, is valid and go go go. Uh, uh, and that's I, I want to make sure I got that be, before anything else.
4: Yeah, I am I'm impressed. I appreciate that a lot. I hope that. What's t- tying you up? Didn't have anything to do with that train crash. I heard that was pretty terrible.
1: <laughs> no, I was going to go that way this today, but uh, it didn't work out. Last year, my buddy and I from uh, MPP went to Philadelphia for a three-day retreat. Uh, we're having a beer with with Republican congressmen. It worked out really well. This time, it was just oh, too much of a hoity-toity place, so we couldn't get in.
4: Well, I, I, uh, it's better you weren't on the train. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but it, the, uh, I want to make sure you and your, and your audience know that there's lots of good news out of Washington. We are – I've been here 10 years, worked in the halls of Congress, and we are now uh, in a position where if, big if, Ryan would allow a vote, the 1937 law would be overturned in the House and almost overturned in the Senate. Medical – Tenth Tenth Amendment states' rights for medical marijuana would pass in a a blink in both the House and the Senate, and I believe the president would sign it, uh, except leadership will not allow a vote. So all your cards and letters, your your calls to Congress, your town hall meetings where you ask why this green plant is still demonized, all of this is paying off in 2018, where we now have a a slight majority in both the House and Senate, which would end the 1937 law thank all of you. I thank all of you for your efforts to help me and my colleagues here in Washington, D.C. get this done at the federal level.
4: Well, I think it's really important. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is just where we are. We need to make this big final push. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you we, over the last, you know, it's been 40 years of, of pushing on some level or another, you know, since mm-hmm. since 71, when the, when the, Controlled Substances Act was passed. There's been people trying to undo mm-hmm. it, but I think finally, and mm-hmm. and it's out of the Tenth Amendment, the states' rights. All the states define the federal law by passing laws that are in opposition to it, um, and all the people right. supporting that over time. I think that we're we're right for this big push. I think today, if we could get the marches like like the the gay rights people did, like like all of the the. Um, Civil rights actions, like, like any major change we've had, if we could get a bunch of people all at once to raise your hands and say, how about now? I think that the leadership mm-hmm. in Congress almost have to. I mean, you know, it's getting to that point. It, it,
1: it is getting to that point. The, the trouble is, it, as you probably know and your audience, that Washington is controlled by money, power, and ego. And uh, ego may be the the first amongst equals, where you've had congressmen for thirty years demonizing the green plant, and for them to admit they made a mistake, that they were wrong in the science, wrong on the justice angle, wrong on every part of this of this policy, is very very difficult for a politician to say yeah uh, I was wrong. So it, it's still going to boil down to all those individual cards and letters, you know the individual activism. Uh, it's like uh, you know, I wrote As you say, I rode my horse across America. My wife wears a T-shirt. Mom say legalized pot. And so she goes to Panera's on the weekends, and two or three people will ask her why, and she converts two or three people right there in the spot. And that's the type of grassroots activism that all of your listeners should be engaged in to, to meet with people who don't agree with you and convince them every day that the police should be chasing bad guys, not God's green plant.
4: Well, I think you touched on a great point, and that's one of the points that George Mar-Torano talks about. That's one of the reasons that we have these little green solidarity ribbons. We wear that, Mm -hmm. and it inspires the conversation. A shirt will do the same thing. But the point is, Mm -hmm. is each one of us is a beacon out there, and we know something that a lot of people don't know or understand. We, since you Mm -hmm. and I spoke last, um, have launched a uh, multi-organizational campaign that we're calling Hashtag How Come? And what it is is it's just an informational um, uh, campaign. And, it's you know, the hashtag is an is a easy way for people to recognize something. And we'll say, hashtag, how come? And we'll put up a question uh, that has to do with prohibition, and we answer it. And I think that mm-hmm. when people start looking at the money, you know, like you said, you nailed it on the head. Our policies are influenced by money all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, just what we are up against. If the public will is contrary to the money's will, the public will needs to show up five to one over what that money can do. And that's where we're at right now. So we've launched this hashtag how come campaign with the same purpose of inspiring people to think about why is it that this plant's criminal? Why is it that somebody can grow a plant and go to jail for it? Why is it that one person can do this over here and another person can't? There's all these Questions that I think, as people think about it, even without even having a solid answer, will unravel the web of lies and deceit that prohibition is. So that's one of the things we've, we've initiated since you and I have spoken last.
1: Great, great. Like I say, it's all paying off. Um, and, the, and the other cheerful news is that, uh, again today, another powerful committee chairman, Trey Gowdy from South Carolina, has announced his retirement. Uh, it's been seven or eight congressmen from from Texas. These Republicans are all announcing their retirement, and I think almost every one of them, according to my records, has been in opposition to states' rights, in opposition to allowing the states to choose their own path. So this is extremely cheerful news for 2019 because uh, yeah, they're, they're they're retiring. I think they're 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 getting ahead of the uh, blue wave coming. And be sure for your your audience out there, find a candidate, whether Republican or Democrat, and who believes that this should be a Tenth Amendment states' rights issue, marijuana, and and support that person, make sure they get elected. So when they come to Washington, they're all ready to say, you know what? Let's return to the states the right and the responsibility to control cannabis any way the state feels uh, fit to do.
4: I couldn't agree more, and I think that that you know I, it it does it boils down to us, and it boils down to raising up somebody rather than everybody just knocking the other guy down. It's great these guys are stepping mm-hmm. down. We got to raise somebody up in their place. I think that's one of the mm-hmm. key messages that we all have to have. We need to hold each other up, we raise each other up, and show ourselves as that united front. And I think that right. we're literally on the edge of pushing this forward. Well, Howard. I, I, I welcome you back with these updates, and I appreciate you coming back on to clarify your points. And please um, feel free to come back as a guest any time when you have an update, especially good news. We love the good news part.
1: I will do that. And just like I say, keep those cards and letters, uh, emails going into Congress. And, 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 again, at the federal level, we never talk about legalization. We simply talk about Tenth Amendment, let the states be able to choose their own path. That's all we do at the federal level, and that is the key to returning uh, control to Lansing and Springfield and Madison-type places, and they know what to do better than the Muffinheads in Washington, D.C. I thank you for the opportunity.
4: I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Howard. We will talk soon. Once again, Howard George okay, from Washington. All right, let's see. We got Robert Kowalski uh, just showed up, and we're going to put him up. But first, uh, we got Glenn Keeling's been on the line for a while, and uh, Glenn is the uh, chapter coordinator from our new Ohio chapter and uh, also a defendant at the same time, also a patient, patient advocate. Um, His wife, Peggy, is, is battling MS brutally without being able to use cannabis, because of prohibition and we're here to stop it we're here to raise them up we're here to uh bring forth not only support but the education that breeds the support and before i let this one go i couldn't be more impressed i didn't i thought i was going to ha- be squared off with uh, howard um but instead he did the noble <laughs> and right <laughs> thing <laughs> so um, there is the right thing to do, and the right thing to do is not be full of your ego and not be full of hasty words, but to see the bigger picture. And you know what? Sometimes we get pissed off and say stupid shit. I've done it many a time, and when I do it, if somebody checks me on it, I'll be the first to admit it and try to move forward quick as we can and find that place where we do stand together, because that's what's going to cause this to happen. All right. great Keeling. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh welcome to the show. What's what's going on today?
3: Good evening, Joe. Thank you very much for having me on. Um I first pleasure. want to say thank you for all the people in Human Solution that reached out yesterday uh, with nice words and condolences for my grandmother's funeral. I really appreciate it and everybody was really kind about that. Um well, and now we've into the got
4: important that we stand together during the victories and the losses, and unfortunately, you know, we're uh, we're an old and sick uh, organization of, of people that are, you know, one day step closer to the other side, and, and it happens more often than I wish, so I'm, I'm very pleased and proud of, uh, of, of the members of the organization for doing the right thing. We're here to educate and support, and support many times is just being there saying, hey, um, you know, listening, um, showing up, and, you know, it makes me proud to know that uh, you guys are on it. So that's it. Go ahead.
3: Um, I just want to give a quick update. Um, VCI tests are still not in. Um, there's a – they're thinking that the – and I got this from my attorney today, um, that the wax is hashed. So we're hoping that the tests come back that it is cannabis oil and not hash. Um, with that, what Susan, they, what
4: I, the difference? what's that? What what is the determination of cannabis oil and hash being different? What is the difference to them?
3: There there is no difference. They
4: they're of course <laughs> they're, they're, concentrated they're, concentrated cannabis. It doesn't matter how it's concentrated
3: right they um, because here in the state of Ohio hash is it, even with the medical program as an effect hash is still illegal um, because the processing is different that you know it comes from the same plant even though it comes from the same plant you process it two different ways and it in the end it is two very different products and they are not the same and I want to repeat that hash is not cannabis oil. Cannabis oil is not hash. Um, I just think education, education for everyone from the top down about this plant, about the products that comes from this plant, the derivatives of this plant, and all of the chemical compounds of this plant. Uh, And and I think we talk about this every week. It's Education is is power. The more you know, the better off you are. Um, as far as our hells, it, it's it, we're, we're hanging in there. We're doing the best that we can with what we have right now, without being able to medicate. Um, Aggie, of course, is going down a lot faster than I am. So hopefully, um, I think I've got my attorney. Convinced, talked well—not convinced, but talked into petitioning the courts to allowing us at least to have the medicine for the time being, and I hope that goes through.
4: Oh, that would be a godsend! Yes,
3: we're hoping so. But I want to, um, I want to take a minute to thank everybody again for for the good words that they put into me and and said uh, yesterday was a was a pretty hard. Um, hard thing to go through. Um, And a lot of members gave a lot better words than what the people at the funerals gave. So I I really appreciate (laughs) the support that we had. Um, Of course, my my family was really, (laughs) it it wasn't a good sight. You know, I'm a criminal. I'm the black sheep. I'm the bad guy of the family. And a lot of people steered clear and nobody really, it was it was not a good day to be there but the kind words from the members of human solution and from the patient network wall was was great and and really appreciated and i i was touched by that and i was really glad to have such an organization stand behind me in a time like that and i really appreciate it
4: well i again am am so glad that uh that's what happened. I, you know, when the human solution is able to do what it is that it does, um, it touches hearts and it, and it, it makes the world a better place. And that's, um, without any guidance or rule books, um, it's just kind of, you know, letting the best of humanity do what it does. And that's, that's a big part of this. There's not, uh, there's never limits to, um, you know, our reach and, and the things that, people can do to help out one another uh, in their time of need. And it all strengthens us so that we all are better suited to fight this battle that we're fighting, um, even if it seems unrelated. Um, You know, helping out a brother or sister, for whatever reason, raises them up so that we can ultimately accomplish these goals that we set out to.
3: Right. I am very proud to be a part of this organization and to know that the things that we're doing is leading to something greater and something better for everyone.
4: Well, I, uh, I again, am, am proud to be serving alongside you. And, uh, you know, it's, um, we, I just want to get to the other side of this thing. You know, I feel like we're getting closer and closer, and uh, and yet on some level it seems like there's this giant chasm between us and the victory, so. I, I, I'm truly hoping that we take it home, and uh, you know we can take on um, we can take on some other battles. Plenty of battles to take right. on. You
3: know, there's, right, there's absolutely.
4: There's hunger. There's all kinds of shit that is so much worse than cannabis prohibition. But cannabis prohibition is such a ridiculous thing. It Affects so many people on so many levels. It has to be fixed. We have to fix it. Perfect.
3: Absolutely. It- one of us all the listeners that are on tonight if we would all just make that phone call to our representatives of our area every district call them call them call if you have to call them call them every single day until they actually do get stuff. off their ass and do something
4: doctor asses you know I mean right. that. You know, literally there's nothing that says you know when I when I talk about uh, about you know the Congress is not being the answer I'm not saying that Congress isn't ultimately an answer I'm saying that it's going to take us To be loud enough and obnoxious enough To get them to get off their lazy uh, uh, Influenced asses That's the difference right. That's what we're right. talking they've about been,
3: so, They've gotten too comfortable For too long Sitting in there making the big bucks For absolutely nothing Because they, they, they don't do shit for us They don't do nothing that is in our best interest. They don't do nothing that's in the Americans' best interest. They do what is in the best of their pocket. So every one well, wait, of us gets on the phone every second. day.
4: How many total lawmakers are there? There's over 600 lawmakers or 500, whatever it is, right? They work right. full-time. They get paid full-time. They get benefits. They get retirement funds. They get they get secret service protection. How many friggin' laws do we need? Right. What do we need? lawmakers well, uh, for you know right. I mean, there's,
3: I, there's too many too many
4: i don't feel represented sorry i right. don't feel represented
3: yeah i All right, don't, I don't.
4: we do have to keep moving we've got uh, robert kowalski who i believe you facilitated and um we're going to bring him up next
3: right absolutely good job. You know, I robert is a really good guy he's got some good knowledge um and i'm I'm proud to have him as a friend. he's a really good dude
4: well, I'm looking forward he's coming up next well, Glenn Keeling, once again, thank you so much for standing tall and I appreciate your update
3: yes, sir thank you and thank you again once again, human solution members and the uh network the patient network well I appreciate it.
4: Well, you bet that's what we're here to do and that's what we're gonna keep doing all right now if we got. Robert Kowalski, also from Ohio, and um, Robert was referred to us by Glenn, and Robert's got a hell of a story on top of it. Not dissimilar to Chris Lewandowski, uh, who we were supporting a year ago and change, um, similar type of situation. Military guy, uh, he was a Marine instead of an Air Force, but, um, you know, came back from the military, diagnosed with PTSD, chronic pain, all sorts of issues, got given 20, 30, 40 prescriptions, found out that cannabis can work and you don't have to be a prescription zombie. And um, Robert seems to have taken this bull by the horns and run with it. Robert, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us in your own words uh, how you've come to be um, a civil rights advocate?
0: Hey, Joe, it's a pleasure to be here.
4: Oh, uh, the pleasure's
0: all mine. Um, like you said, thank you, Glenn, uh, for the kind introduction, and uh, I'm glad that I could support you in any way I can. Um, like Joe said, I'm a veteran of the United States Air Force. Uh, I did two combat tours to Iraq, uh, totaling roughly a year and six months in Iraq itself. Um after my second deployment, I was diagnosed with a possibility of having PTSD on my way home. Um, they do a a simple questionnaire determining if you've seen enough that there's a possible diagnosis there. And, uh, what goes along with that is that you're supposed to be seen two weeks after you return home, return back to your home station. Um, well, that didn't happen, and it got to a point to where I was having severe PTSD symptoms. Uh wasn't sleeping. I was uh, pretty much afraid to go to sleep because of the nightmares and dealing with the chronic pain. So after waiting a couple weeks and fighting to s- seek help for this while active, I started doing my own research as what can I do to help myself? because I still had to go to work. I was still a federal employee serving in the United States military. And I found statistics from New Mexico that cannabis helps with PTSD symptoms. So I took it upon myself that I was going to do something highly illegal and highly against military code, and I was going to start treating myself with cannabis. Uh. Six months or so after that, they finally wanted to help me by uh, shoving pills down my throat. And uh, they pretty much removed me from my duty, uh, stopped me from doing my job. And it come back during a urinalysis that I was using cannabis in the military. So with that, they ended up using that against me. Uh, they demoted me. Uh, Knock my pay and discharge me from the service for misconduct with a general under honorable conditions for treating PTSD with cannabis. That led me to going out to Arizona about a year later after getting a VA rating of 70%. Um, I moved to Arizona, became a legal medical marijuana patient in 2012 as a uh, Pretty much the first person it's listed on my uh, medical recommendation for PTSD. Two years before PTSD was even allowed in Arizona as a qualifying condition. After wow. that, a couple a couple years went by. Um, I actually was allowed to grow my own at home during that time in Arizona, so I used that on, in conjunction with uh, smoking cannabis. I was able to knock all 22 pills I was supposed to take a day down to zero while going through the VA system, which is still against cannabis use. After that, I yeah. uh, was able... Go i stop
4: you there for one second. Um, I know that I, I've worked with uh, many, many v- veterans, both with the human solution and, and separately outside of it, um, and there's a lot of information and misinformation about the VA and the VA's position about cannabis, we keep hearing these um, memos and these um, reports that the Veterans Administration is now allowing there to be cannabis use. There's all these uh, reports that come up every, I don't know, it seems almost like every couple of years, there's a report that comes up that says that VA doctors are now allowed to um, uh, accept cannabis Medicine, But the truth is, I know a number of veterans who, even cancer survivors, that took cannabis to cure cancer. And when their VA doctor found out that that's what they used, they cut off their pain meds. And they said, well, if you're using cannabis, I can't give you the pain meds that you probably need because you have a serious uh, chronic and acute pain problem. Is that, what, what's really going on there?
0: Um, that's pretty much the extent of all they can do. Um, that's their form of punishment to us, I guess you could say, because they can't legally stop our benefits that were earned and entitled to us at the point we were given the diagnosis to seek help through the VA system. So when you sign a pain contract and it's even the same, same in a civilian side of things, when you're seeing a doctor for pain medication, And opioids that when you sign that contract, it pretty much says that you're not allowed to use any illicit drugs or Uh, um, anything outside of what the doctor is prescribing you. So that's where they get you. It's a lot like, um, you know, the Second Amendment issue we're coming up with and how uh, the federal government decided to change the wording on your background check uh, information to go buy a weapon. Is you're not allowed to be using it. Even specifies now medical marijuana, and that's the way they're right. catching everybody.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, that's brutal. And and we're gonna have a show all about that one of these days soon, um, because that's a that's a, a dark, dirty piece of uh, policy that I don't hear hardly anybody talking about.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's It gets real down and dirty and rough with it when you really start digging deep into how they're trying to screw policy and trying to stop, you know, good people who are willing to sign up on a registry pretty much saying, hey, I'm willing to let you know that I'm using this, but in order to do that, you're just going to start taking my rights away.
4: Exactly. And that's what I talk about. That's That's what the gist of this show, I don't know exactly when you popped on, but we've been talking about, you know, this push for legalization and what are we willing to give up to get legalization. And nobody talks about being okay to give up their second amendment. Nobody has any issue giving up the right to grow a thousand plants if they need it. Nobody talks about giving up the right to make oil if they need oil. Nobody gives up the right, talks about the right to transport it to your sick and dying aunt in another state if she needs it nobody talks about any of this stuff and yet everybody is like woo woo legalize it and and there isn't a single application of woo woo legalize it that allows for these things that i just talked about every single one of them is restricted and and yet we we're calling these victories and i just it drives me friggin' nuts because everybody's going to be celebrating except for the people that keep getting busted because they needed more than the law allowed. And we're going to be pointing our fingers. Well, you should have been following the law. Kills me. So tell us more about, okay, so you've gotten yourself to the point where um, they, they, the VA now knows that you're using cannabis, um, and what, what, where are you at now with it? What's going on now?
0: Well, in uh, 2014, I got a phone call from my parents that my grandmother was dying of colon cancer, and they weren't sure how long she was going to make it. Um, make a long story short, my parents kicked me out of the house at 17, and I was pretty much homeless for a year before I left for basic training for a joint. Oh, gee. Um, Go,
4: parents. I'm sorry.
0: Right. But that's the, that's the stigma. I know. That's the society that they grew up in, and it's sad, but it was the reality of the time. And so uh, they knew what I was doing in Arizona. They didn't really know the extent of how it was really helping and the effects because they knew their son before he left for service, and then they saw the nightmares and the shit right after I got back. Right. And so when I returned back to – Ohio, from Arizona, I brought uh, peanut butter and regular butter back, uh, infused, to try and convince my family to allow me to try and help my grandmother. Um, And it started with a simple conversation, kind of out of the norm, to where I eased my family into it by flat out asking my grandmother if I could roll a joint at her kitchen table. (laughs) I love it. And... Um, she let me, and she watched me and observed. And I told her, "Okay, I'm gonna go out and smoke this, and I'll be back." And I did. And it, she was kind of mind blown that I was a calmer person, that I was more of her grandson, and not someone who'd been through hell. And, you did and go through it
4: started, and started
0: everybody up. right. And it started the conversation. And once I got the conversation rolling, my aunt works at. Uh, a hospital in Northeast Ohio and she started asking questions and she started going to the hospital and asking questions and she found out that some very influential people in the hospital were using cannabis to calm their nerves. And she was mind blown. And after about a couple weeks of this conversation, I finally got my grandmother to say to me, that it was okay that I started giving her this, this medicine. Um, 24 hours after me giving my grandma her first medicated cracker, I, I spread a, a small spread across the cracker, and that was her dosage. That was a way for me to monitor her dosage because she'd never used it before. Um, right. She was able to go shopping for the first time in two years. And then the next day, she was able to clean her house for the first time by herself, and that just mind blown for my family. They they couldn't believe it. I was saving my grandma's life, and they were seeing things that they hadn't seen from her in ev- forever. So my after I was helping my grandma for a little bit, she decided that she was done. She was ready to go. She was tired of suffering. Uh, She was going through dialysis three times a week. Um, She lost my grandfather to cancer. Um, He was a hardcore military man, retired from the military, retired from the postal service. So she told me to quit. And when I quit, it was two months after I quit dosing her that she passed. And that was pretty much what lit the fire under my butt to say, I'm not going to stop until I can ensure that everybody has the access to this medicine to save their family members' lives.
4: Well, you know, the will to fight is everything. And, uh, like, I think you painted a very common picture that, you know, the cannabis can be a miracle to so many people in so many ways. But, you know, life gets complicated. And if somebody doesn't have the will to fight, you know, first thing you're going to do is cut off that thing that gives you that will that makes your life bearable to to you know to, to to stay fighting. So unfortunately I I'm not I'm not even surprised at what you told me there, but of course saddened. Um so tell us where you got inspired um you know to, to make a change and it what I the way I understand it, you've gone about it in a um somewhat unique and, and exciting sort of way. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know your methods and 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 where you hope to go before you get into that though I got a question it's it's nagging me it's 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 bothered me for many years i i've been i'm not a veteran but i'm a veteran advocate and ten years ago, I ran a dispensary and I always made sure that if somebody could show me they were a veteran, especially if they served in combat that you know we took the utmost care of them. We, we treated them with respect. Um, we honored their service. Um, whatever you think about war, the military has nothing to do with a, an individual putting themselves into harm's way for something they feel is right. And um, I just always had a deep respect for that. I have family that's been in the military every generation that's fought in every conflict all the way back to the Revolutionary War. But here's where I've always had a problem. As, as a, uh, an organizer, as a civil rights organization leader, I have reached out, I don't know how many times, to veterans, veterans organizations, um, it, trying to work together to, to, to show uh, camaraderie. To uh, I, I've, I've helped veterans. I've, I've done everything I can to try to even create a veteran's wing of the human solution. I just... I always get everybody in the room the first day, and everybody says, hoorah, and then nobody shows up. And I know that that's a big part of military is showing up, doing your job, getting it done, being there, regardless of if you like it or not. I have never been embraced by military veterans groups, and I'm assuming it's because I'm not a veteran, and I know I don't, I don't, I don't know what you know. I don't, haven't seen what you've seen, but I care. And I want to help and I want our organization to be able to help. How do I
0: breach this? Um, ironically enough, that's the reason why I turned around and created my own nonprofit. Um, (laughs) I took it upon myself that, (laughs) no, it's, it's because of other veteran organizations, believe it or not. Um, I got like you, I, I kept seeing the same thing. Um, at the very beginning, when you join the service and you get off the bus at basic training, no matter what branch of service it is, no matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are, you are bred to understand that the person to the left of you and the person to the right of you is no different, and in order that you're going to get through this, whatever your basic training is, you're going to have to work together.
4: Right. God it. If we could only understand that in the movement...
0: <laughs> and so i created my non-profit to uh veterans ending the stigma to bridge that gap to bring civilians in that don't really understand military life and to connect them with veteran organizations that should be working together with the people in this movement
4: well there you go and it that's my like, goal it sounds like we've just connected i think that um we, you and I will, after this conversation, have many more conversations and consider the human solution, um, you know, at your service.
0: Well, thank you, and I appreciate that.
4: So you, you started this 501c3. Um, that's the type of organization we are, so I know it's kind of a an arduous little process to go through and hoops to jump through, but it's doable, and... and um, it, it, it opens up the doors to you to be able to uh, uh, receive donations and give tax credits and things like that, and um, it 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 it's a type of organization that has a lot of tools, um, ability, abil- ab- ability to receive grants and things like that. What are you doing with your 501c3? Um,
0: right now, we've been focusing on education. We're only a year old uh, right now, and In that year, we've we've been able to make strides to where um, we've been as far east as PA, the next state over from us, to as far west as uh, we were able to set up a booth in Oregon to spread our message. About what veterans are really trying to do and what we're really trying to do and that's break the stigma, not only the stigma of cannabis but the self-stigma in veterans' lives and other patients' lives, that they don't need to be ashamed of the crap they're going through every day. Um, Also, we want to ensure that people understand that, you know, mental illness and homelessness, one of the the biggest issues around veterans right now, is, isn't something that really needs to be, you need to be ashamed of, but something you need to embrace and start asking for help because that's the only way you're going to change the situation.
4: Absolutely. You got to identify a problem and seek to remedy it. I, I couldn't agree more. So what's, what's the story with the, um, the international or the global treaty um, regarding drugs and cannabis? What's, What is your uh, approach on that? I understand that you're working to make changes.
0: Yeah, I was approached about uh, a couple months back, and I've been working alongside Michael Krawitz a lot, who's Uh, been in this uh, movement a long time. And I ask you, I
4: know Michael Krawitz, and uh, he actually spoke at one of my events that I did at my house few years back. In fact, um, he was supposed to be a guest on the show last year, but we never got together. But I, my, my suspicion and hope was that you were connected with him. I know he's, uh, ex-Air Force as well. So, um, uh, that's fantastic. So how is that coming along? I haven't talked to him in a little while.
0: Um, it's coming along great. I'm still new to the whole international movement. Um, just recently I've, I've dove real deep into it. Um, as a lot of people might be aware, uh, the World Health Organization come out and started asking questions and making statements about CBD and how they're looking at uh, changing it. That's the work that the group on the ground internationally has been doing. Is essentially forced this conversation to be revisited.
4: Got it. And, and is there a... Uh an upcoming date or an event or something that we can look forward to uh, seeing some sort of a, a tangible uh, change happening?
0: Um, yeah, what, we've, what they've been able to do, and I, I'll refer to it as weed now that I feel I'm part of this movement, is uh, we've been able to convince the UN to actually dive real deep into looking at the science around cannabis. Um, what we're focusing on right now, obviously, is the human rights of a plant and the science that backs up that is non-harmful and it needs to be allowed, not just in the U.S., but all, all around the world. Um, so what the U.N. has done and in the um, Net- International Narcotics Commission has done is broken cannabis up into five different categories. Uh, CBD, whole cannabis, resin, extract, THC, and THC copies. And what they're doing now is going through and diving into the science and working with NGOs and getting the world together to try and figure out the abuse potential and understanding how far really does the science go and what is the potential of abuse and harm to society if they move forward with changing the schedule internationally or descheduling it.
4: So so in this conversation and, and this is something I talk about all the time, I would love to ever come into a debate or a conversation where they were having this because frankly, burden of proof is on them. And and here's the thing, okay, the World Health Organization documents all kinds of issues worldwide um, poverty, famine, health problems, communicable diseases, um, uh, pandemics, epidemics, every kind of, of of health problem in the world. They see real problems. They see real substance abuse problems. They see um, AIDS epidemic. They see uh, opiate epidemics. They see uh, methamphetamine epidemics. They see every you know paint huffing. Um, you name it. There's a, there's One person, one time, show me the one person that died from this. And and nobody's made that happen. Nobody's manifested an actual proof that somebody died from consuming this plant. And, you know, they try to link something. Oh, the guy smoked pot, and then he jumped out the window. So, therefore, the pot caused him to jump out the window. You know as well as I do that's bullshit. And it's, it's, it's not a true provable situation. So when it comes to an overdose, if you overdose from heroin, they can do an autopsy and prove that you overdose from heroin. But the truth is you do not have cannabinoid receptors in your um, brainstem. The autonomic system does not have cannabinoid receptors, so there isn't any way that cannabis can cause your body to tell you to stop breathing or to stop beating your heart or to stop liver working or or kidney function. It doesn't have that ability, and science shows that. It shows opiate receptors and other receptors right there where it can do that. We can directly link death to virtually any substance on the planet, but we somehow can't link it to cannabis, and yet we're still having a discussion. I don't understand. What do you think?
0: No, I agree with you, and I think finally the, that we're getting the world to understand that, is that we this whole idea of cannabis being bad is based off of individuals who felt it necessary to make a lot of money and ensure their place in society. And, frankly, now there's no room for that. I mean, like you spoke earlier, there's just so many rules that 90% of the world probably doesn't even know all the rules for their own country because there's so many of them.
4: Exactly. We don't need any more rules, I can assure you. (laughs) Well, let me... Here's an important part of this conversation. You have this organization. um, You have obviously either membership or sponsorship or however you operate. How does somebody get involved to be part of your organization, um, the veterans ending the stigma? How does somebody help out?
0: Uh, We have a membership that's fairly cheap. Uh, Our Most expensive memberships, $55 a year. Um, What that's going to do is allow us to start implementing the programs that we would like to start implementing to start seeing change on the ground. Um, Outside of that and the international work I'm doing, I'm more so doing that on my own just to keep things moving. Uh, But you can find us online at veteransendingthestigma.org to really see what we're about, what we're really trying to do.
4: Well, I would definitely um, offer this. I'm. I Do I have to be a veteran to join your club?
0: Absolutely not.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, that works out good because I'm going to try to join your club, and I'm going to um, openly and freely offer the Human Solution as a uh, support group. One of the things that 501C3s, by their nature, are – implied going to be doing is work with each other towards like goals, common interest. And that's one of the things that 501c3s actually have a lot of power if they were to uh, utilize this because your membership plus my membership equals more people. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a membership of more than one organization. I encourage it. I'm a membership, member of many organizations. Um, That being said, um, you know, I'd like to look at, Think about a way that the human solution and your organization could work together um, on some sort of a project that we could do in tandem, that we could, uh, you know, bring awareness of each other's works and um, uh, combine the, the, the power of, of our reaches uh, to accomplish something greater than we're able to by ourselves.
0: I would encourage that and be delighted with that very much.
4: Well, I'm going to invite you uh, next Tuesday to join a conference call that we have, and um, Glenn can give you the contact information. Um, It happens at 9 o'clock Pacific time in the morning, and um, Glenn is part of the call as, as he sees fit. I'm going to invite you to join us, take the weekend to think about Something that we could do together as a as a uh, a project or a, you know something with a specific purpose um, that we could do as a you know as a collaboration.
0: Great, I could do that, and I'd also like to make an announcement that uh, I've taken it a step further now on a state level, and I am currently working as running for lieutenant governor of my state Woo-hoo. to really place myself in a position to where I can influence and absolutely make change for the people of the state to ensure that our rights are actually cared for.
4: Well, I I will uh, extend this platform um, as a regular place for you to put an update. Um, If you're moving forward with the campaign, um, you know, as a 501c3, we can't officially endorse anybody, but we can certainly... Educate people, and we can uh, provide a platform for you to speak. So, um, I'm willing to do everything we can do. Um, and, uh, like we were talking about, we got to think outside the box. It's not just a matter of calling your congressman, it's about being a congressman, it's about being a governor, it's about being a mayor, it's about stepping up and get ourselves in a place where we can do more than we're able to do today. You know, anybody can sit in a chair and bitch, anybody can sit there and type away a uh, a, a monologue response to something. It takes a little more to get up there and put your neck out there where all the bullets are flying. Um, I've been there. I've I've taken plenty of rounds. I hopefully don't ever have to take more, but I'm not going to stop trying until we get there. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to be effective. We're trying to be uh, bigger than we are. We're trying to join forces with like minds and, Create this coalition that will ultimately cause the end of Prohibition worldwide, and that's what we're all about.
0: Absolutely. I'm a firm believer in meeting the enemy on their own playing field.
4: <laughs> I'm right there with you, my friend. All right, Robert, well, we are running shy on time. i got just enough time for Tom Corby's NorCal report, and um, but I do want to make this open invitation to you. Anytime you see fit to participate with an update, um, call in. You're now a regular on the It's the talk. I, again, welcome you to join uh, our call on Tuesday morning. Uh, talk to Glenn. He will get you the call information.
0: Great. Thanks for having me.
4: Beautiful. All right, folks, once again, Robert Kowalski. Wait, before you go, one more time, give us how do we reach you if you want to help out or participate with uh, Veterans Ending the Stigma.
0: Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Veterans Ending the Stigma, or you can find us online at veteransendingthestigma.org.
4: Beautiful. Thank you. Once again, Robert Kowalski, veteran from Ohio, making a difference. Okay, so we got Tom Corby to wrap the show up. Before we go to Tom, I do want to thank the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network for giving us a place to speak. Again, if you are ever listening, watching this show, and you decide you have something to say, just call in, pick up your phone, and dial 646-929-2495, and our amazing screener, noncompliant Mary, will ask you a couple of questions, and you'll be able to talk. You've got a platform, an ever-increasing platform. We've been gaining about 1,000 listeners a week over the last several weeks, so hopefully that will continue. If you're watching this show on the live stream, share it, participate. All right, here we go, Tom Corby with the NorCal Report, and we'll close it out.
2: Welcome, Tom. How are you doing today? Uh, thanks, Joe and Becca, Mary, Lisa. Always the coffee party radio and Bobby Rodrigo. And welcome again, George Monterano, and all the good speakers today. Uh, I can't honor George Monterano enough. Can you imagine uh, enduring 33 years in prison? Uh, and he gets out. What does he do? Helping others out. Uh, that's what we do at the Human Solutions International. Uh, uh, I want to send out my deepest condolences to when we talk about icons and folks that came to end prohibition and pre-OR POWs. Dennis Crome passed on recently uh the founder and the master of crop Two fifteen uh, I can help I'm so glad i was able to hang with him and uh he was uh, he would not like as we've always talked about uh a m a and this legalization uh, which are actually legalized Uh, he would uh, be happy to hear also that for folks in California right now with this top 215 uh, we always recommend to have a good doctor Uh, also a doctor that will stand stand his ground take the stand for you, and be knowledgeable knowledgeable about the cannabinoid science and our sacred cannabis plant. <sighs> that Prop 215, uh, I understand, as you Chris Conrad told me uh, a couple years ago, actually and I saw a poster uh, earlier that profit 215 uh, is, is still valid uh, to stay within the laws of the guideline until actually uh, January 9th of 2019. So we have another year, and uh, none, 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 nothing's perfect, and there's always flaws in, in every uh, organization, but... Like Dr. Joe would say, no matter, they all are steps to finding prohibition, which has always been the human, humane, human solution. Uh, letters to representatives are so paramount. Can't believe. Uh, also, letters to prisoners uh, Clemency letter pardon letters uh, So we always keep the letters coming And we always try to come in unity We put our risks aside And agree to disagree uh, I want to thank all today And in your ground Helping to be the solution To finally end this failed Drug war on our sacred Canada's plant Thank you all today And don't forget to breathe
4: (laughs) No, I wouldn't want to forget that Well, I want to thank you, Tom Corby And all the guests I want to thank uh, Noncompliant Mary And, of course, Lisa Wildridge For uh, putting together the live feed And uh, getting it out there So uh, remember, we are the power We're the ones that make the difference And even if it's just talking to one person this week or sharing this link one time, the more we do it, the more we reach, the quicker we end this. I think that's the one thing that everybody seems to agree on, that if more of us participated even a little bit, we would end it, a lot more than one person participating a lot more. So let's do it, folks. Let's uh, make it happen. Let's end Prohibition, and we will see you all next week.
3: I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done You were always on my mind